You were listening to Critical End, episode 73. Yep, so that's thankfully in 2D. tell you logan i got the warm and fuzzies when i when i saw this movie was uh, 2d when i sat down to enjoy this movie in glorious two dimensions because 3d has been getting on my pants lately logan a little bit um, annoying well, a lot of things get on your pants right including those nachos you had that day at the theater uh i like that they this film was in 2d i think this is like an amazing thing when they first announced this a while back i i, I actually i did get excited which is weird because i'm not actually excited about harry potter that much mm-hmm. um for me it's a, like a franchise that i I feel like it should have ended a while back, um, and I was never that invested in it. Anyway, but just the fact that they're like, oh, you know what, this kind of fell through for us, and we can't do it, so we're just going to release it in 2D is very exciting, because this reminds me of kind of like Clash of the Titans, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more recently, uh, the, uh, the the M. Night film, A Last Airbender, mm-hmm. uh, where they said that it was like obviously done really fast and quick, trying to get the theaters in 3D, and just they just did a terrible job. And, you know, the thing about Warner Brothers, I feel like really could have done that if they wanted to. Yeah, probably. Uh, but instead, they're like, "Listen, it's not going to look that great, so we're giving you the 2D version." And I, you know, we're, we're not obviously we can't, obviously can't re- review this as a 3D movie, but looking at it or seeing it the way we did, it looked absolutely fine. There was nothing in it that seemed to pop out at me. Um, no, obviously, it was a 2D. That was probably why. Well, this um, movie, but there's nothing that seemed to, that 3D worthy, in my opinion. I guess this movie uh, by what David Yates, right, was the director. Um, I believe so, yeah. He's kind of like their go-to director now, I believe. Yeah, he was um, the same director who did the fifth one. He also did the sixth one, which I thought was a bit lackluster. I don't know what happened there. But the fifth right. one uh, had the best directing of the Harry Potter series up to this point, until I think this one, which I would say does. Um, I felt the fifth Harry Potter film was reached just the right amount of flair and direction. If you want to look at it, like Columbus had no flair, which was okay. Those, the stories of the first two really didn't uh, deserve it, um, or demand it, I guess. Um, while the third one I thought, I thought was way over-directed to the point that he was making all these weird artistic decisions when there should have been more story put in. Um, and the fourth one, I, I can't even remember so much. Right, but my point is yeah. that the fifth one... Um, would have, I think, suffered if he tried to shoehorn 3D. I don't know if he was thinking of 3D when he shot it, because I mean, he must he must have known they were going to do it in 3D. So he the must fifth? the third one. I mean, the, oh, sorry, the, no, the um, ha, the seventh the one, which is the okay. par- first part of the whatever. Yeah. Um, this most recent one, the Deathly Hallows. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, I think it would have suffered from 3D. I, it didn't look like he, you know, um, it needed it, and I think that it probably would have uh, taken me out of the film more than it enhanced it, because I thought I, that he cre- created a very nice sort of like. Uh, like claustrophobic atmosphere in some parts that I think would have been hurt by it. Well, uh, unfortunately, Hollywood has kind of gotten to the point now where it doesn't matter if they feel like the film will suffer from it or not. They're they're going to put it in 3D. Right. Um, and I'd say you know more than half the films w- that we have to see in 3D weren't meant to be in 3D in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know if he actually they discussed his final Harry Potter thing being in 3D for a long time I don't know if he went in directing it feeling like he had to put some 3D scenes in there because so I didn't quite notice I'm sure there's a few things that fly at the screen but no more than any other Harry Potter movie yeah um, but I I guess what it comes down to is I'm really glad this ended up in 2D 
Um, and I will try, if it's possible, which is where I live getting nearly impossible to do. If possible, I'll try to see part two in 2D as well. And I, I just realized it's uh, November. Or, no, not November. It's July. June, July, something like that, right? Can you it's next that? summer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought we were going to have to wait like a whole year for this sort of thing. But, uh, well, it's already done almost. They're, they're going back to reshoot some of the ending. Yeah, I saw uh, where a lot of the cast wasn't happy about that. Mm. Uh, mainly probably because they got haircuts. Well, I don't think they're necessarily unhappy. They're, the only part they're shooting is the epilogue, which is, uh, they're all in makeup and wigs anyway for that. Um, so I thought I'd seen pictures that snuck out of that. Yeah, back. they already shot it, but they're reshooting it because they shot it at uh, King's Cross Station and they didn't like what they with got. The wrong it was Yeah, they accidentally <laughs> shot it with the cast of Fat Albert by uh-huh. total mistake. Dr. Bill Cosby was there. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, um, but um, the... Further enhancing my experience in uh, enjoying this 2D movie was that I tried um, Carmike Cinema's Big D theater experience, which I think you've yes. talked about before. Now, no, I actually I was at the same theater for a different movie, um, but I don't know what day you were there. But it was I was going to walk into the theater. It's one of my many Thanksgiving experiences, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I was going to walk into the theater. I noticed the doors were open. The the doors outside, which you, is rare in a theater, and most people avoid because of bugs flying and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, this is kind of weird. I wonder why they, why they have these doors open again. And you know, I go and buy a ticket, and, and I realized I am walking through a cloud of fog to do so. <laughs> like, you you really can't see five feet in front of you. Um, and they just opened, and what happened was right before they opened, someone had really, really, extremely burned the popcorn. Oh, really? So they were, they because it was Thanksgiving Day, they did not want to shut down the theater, because this is probably like one of their biggest days. Yeah. Um, and uh, furthermore, they were really trying not to set off the fire alarm, too, I could tell. That's hilarious. <laughs> big fans blowing everything outside. Um, but no, I, I did see the sign for uh, the big D, or like triple D, I don't know what exactly how. Uh, yeah, it's it very confusing as to what it's called. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know if this is a Karma exclusive thing or if they're partnering up with some sort of uh, what? What is it exactly, Ryan? Can you explain? Well, um, as far as I could tell, because I didn't actually purchase these tickets, my dad did. We were seeing it all for Thanksgiving. <laughs> walked in the side door. I uh-huh. just yeah, walked in the door was open. There was Covered a bunch of nachos. popcorn smell. Yeah, right. And um, so he just, my dad just came back from purchasing the tickets. He's like, "Wow, oh, we're doing this big D thing. It's gonna be great." I'm like, "What is it?" He's like, "I don't know." So you get pretty so easy to your dad. It's pretty easy to upsell my dad, frankly. Okay. Um, so that's what happened there. Also, we were seeing it a half an hour later than we intended for some reason. But anyway, uh, but as far as I could tell, it was definitely a bigger screen, which is nice. It's like the perfect middle ground between regular and IMAX. I think it's actually the perfect size screen to see a movie on, because I think IMAX is like so big you have to keep craning your neck to see it. Yeah, the thing about IMAX is, yeah, the uh, screens are huge. Nice IMAX, but why don't you make a bigger theater? Yeah, seriously. The seats are right in front of the screen. Anyway, okay, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Then, So it's a bigger screen. I think it's a great size screen. Uh, it's slightly curved. I'm not sure if that's part of it or just a necessity. And um, the theater seats, and the theater seats are um, big, are much, are wider, and they are plushier. They're like, uh, they're like um, size triple D men. Yeah, well, they have sort of like headrests, and they are also on rockers, so that you can like rock back and, uh, and lean back and stuff. Okay, um, I know what this is. This is a cheaper version of uh, something that the theater here in my town did recently. Um, there's this. They have the exact same experience, pretty much. But they, there's a full bar inside the theater. Ooh. Um, and they actually there's waiters who come to your. There's like little buttons on the seats that you push and everything. Well, they were talking about uh, doing food with this as well, but they didn't have that when I was there. There's no button on the seats. But um, or not that you found anyway. Well, not yeah. Exactly. I probably pressed uh-huh. one. They were like murder him. But this this no. This was a great theater experience overall. Did people take advantage of this experience? Were they talking very much or anything or? Um, it, they, there wasn't much, well, there was a baby crying the whole time. That was the only annoying thing. Uh, suck. Uh, well, was there a, uh, what was the upsell on this? How much exactly extra was it? 
I don't know. I actually didn't pay for it, so I didn't. I didn't know, but it was probably. I think uh, my dad said it was two bucks more, oh, and I would bad. much rather pay two bucks for better seating than I would pay three bucks for 3D. Well, you know, I've decided I'd rather pay ten bucks more to see a theater in like a locked box by myself. Well, that's what I've been saying forever. I would pay ten bucks more to get it digital and not have to, you know, go to yeah, these if, fucking theaters. Yeah, stay home. Exactly. I'd be a lot happier um, because I hate to leave for any reason whatsoever. The Nazis, Ryan. I know. They know where you are. Yes, exactly. I, there's been moments where I'm like, God, I wish I really did not have to do like a movie for Kirlin this week because I have to deal with the people in the theater. Yeah. Um, and it's gotten that bad for me. And no matter, you know, if you shush them or whatever, they're not going to listen to you, even though you're clearly in the right here. Like, luckily, we haven't gone to the reverse. You know, we haven't done a complete uh, reversal yet where uh, it's the norm to talk and stuff during movies. Right. Um, but if you can't, like, leave the theater and say anything, because you're not going to kick them out, but second, you're missing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I can't, you know, complain to get the refund because I, I'm not going to have time to go back because we're in a tight deadline here, Kirk Lynn. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. It's I, I'm definitely not to blame for this, but I feel like I could help the experience in some way. Um, I think that you should get up and do a, a uh, stirring Jimmy Stewart type speech where you talk about the values of watching a movie together and being really quiet. Really quiet, yeah. I, people have just decided now that a lot of it's just laziness, I think, that they are at their own. They paid their money, so they're going to just act like they're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're going to prop their feet up. They're going to be really loud during the movie and everything. Um, I, I don't know. I really I hate talking about this any more than I have already on the show. Um, but I, that was not a huge factor here of Harry Potter. Um, the, the the best things I have is I think the, like the opening shot of Bill Nile or whatever in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, got a uh, huge, uh, who's that, from the guy behind me, to which his girlfriend responded, Shaun of the Dead! <laughs> so, I, that was, I think, the worst of it in my theater. Was that guy, was he confused as to who Rufus Scrimger was, or was he confused as to which, who character actor Bill Nye he was? Yeah, who Bill Nye is. Um, and the fact that he's in, like, every British movie didn't help this guy out at all. I, yeah. Um, I was waiting for him to show up in a Harry Potter movie, and I'm glad he finally did. Uh, but, I, you know, let's, uh, I guess let's get to the Harry Potter uh, and I can tell you some more about my Thanksgiving uh, experience here, Ryan. All right, well, here's the thing. Uh, we did a – wait, and I forget if it was a critical hit or if we just did an episode based on the sixth – I think we just did an episode in the sixth movie, and then we talked about the others really quick at the beginning of it. We did, yeah. We tried to we tried to cover them all really quick, and I think last week we recommended that people listen to that one. Um, so if you haven't done so, do so now, and you'll get to hear quickly what we think about the rest of them. Right, so uh, go back to listen to that one uh, where we talk about um, the Half-Blood Prince, but – uh, in general, my feeling about these movies has been that they were very hit or miss. Uh, some were good. The first two movies convinced me to start reading the book, so I give that my, you know, my seal. I thought they were pretty solid. Yeah, and I read the books. I liked them a lot. And then I thought that uh, the third had was, was pretty lacking. I thought the fourth was absolutely terrible. I thought the fifth one was really good. Yeah. And the sixth up. one was an attempt to make an, inter- an uninteresting story interesting, but it sort of ultimately failed. Um, or I, well, I won't say it failed. I just didn't particularly care well, for it. Well, it, it didn't fail like uh, Goblet of Fire fell. No. Think. Um, it was a step down from whatever the fifth one was, though. It was a competently made movie, but it, it failed to highlight what I thought were the interesting parts of that story, which were all the backstory things that they cut. And it's hard to get that stuff in, but well, anyway. Um, but this, which is the seventh movie, although it's only part one of the seventh book because they split it in half, uh, is uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Uh, it's the same guy as in the last three, including the one I really like, the fifth one, Order of the Phoenix. And uh, I think that this is one of – this is probably my favorite Harry Potter movie. Really? Uh, yeah. Just 
out of the gate, um, we should mention, and if you've listened to the other show, you'll know this already. So really, listen to that show. Mm-hmm. Um, that Ryan is a Harry Potter fan of the books. It's um, true. He goes, him and Harry Potter go way back. And the uh, fifth one is my favorite book. Um, so the fifth movie, you would make, I was really happy that it was also my favorite movie at the time. But I think this actually is beating it. Like, it was... Uh, really well paced, really intense, and because they had two whole hours, they got a lot of the story in. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical. I didn't think they needed to cut this in half, but um, they actually made all that camping stuff go by very quickly and interestingly, uh, a little bit better than it even does in the book. They cut some things that from the book that honestly didn't make any sense in the book. It was good to have them all out. And um, I thought the directing and the performances were really great. Like uh, Those three actors have really just grown with every movie, and like uh, my sister and I were talking about this. This is really sort of a, a Ron Weasley movie, almost, even though he, he's gone for a little bit. Like, his character really steps up, and I think Rupert Grin also stepped up and really uh, delivered an awesome performance. Um, and they they actually they cut it off at a really nice point, and I think it actually did not have the Lord of the Rings syndrome that I've talked about in past podcasts, where it feels like they arbitrarily split the story, and you don't know why it ends here, or they didn't, they, it didn't pay off there, or whatever. I feel like it um, it did pay off. And I feel like the next uh, installment is going to be all the better for it. So I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. Um, well, yeah, fan of the books. Uh, me, I always come at these movies as a uh, as just a movie itself. Yep. Um, and I have gotten to arguments with people about this in the past. And I personally, I you can't. It's hard to look away from the book, the source material, if you know it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get in trouble myself because I'm huge in Stephen King, and you know every other movie made Ryan's a Stephen King adaptation. Um, so I find it hard to separate myself from those two, and, and usually I think I'm a little um, more fair to those movies because I've read the book and I know to fill in the plot holes and whatnot. Um, but I've only ever I read the first Harry Potter book, and that was for my uh, adolescent literature class, mm-hmm. um, a class I made up and took myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, I've, I've kind of like not had any springboard for the rest of the films. I've just gone into them, and that's presented a lot of problems, a lot of problems in the Harry Potter series. Um, and I think even you, like at times, have been like, you know, that's absolutely right. That doesn't really make much sense, and sure. they never kind of fill us in. But especially the fourth having, one. Having read the books, especially the fourth one, that was still the worst one in my opinion. Having read the books, you, I think, uh, like if the, if you're walking down this road and there's these potholes you've fallen, you kind of feel those in me. You fill them in yourselves, Ryan. You're like the uh, the public works of your own town here. <laughs> my own mind. You come in and <laughs> you fill in the potholes and you just walk right over. While people like Logan kind of fall in, they're stuck there for like ten or fifteen minutes, depending on how long the scene's going on. And finally, so a nice. A person who's not from Ryantown pulls me out, um, and th- this is—I I got a lot of that from this movie. Um, and I, I don't know to cover the actors really fast. You're right; the, the actors have definitely grown up every film. Um, I'm not—I'm not saying that they're great now, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like they're good at the Harry Potter movies, um, but if anything, I'm gonna say that they've kind of balanced out. Like they've evened out, I think, eventually. Um, How so? And well, I, like I think uh, the first two, especially, you kind of see them as um, kid actors who, but they're actually good at kid actors. I, it's hard to direct kids. Uh, Columbus knew how, to do, knew how to do that well, obviously. Um, but the way you act as a kid is not, as an actor, is not, you're not going to usually turn that into a long career acting because you reach a point where you actually learn how to act and right. that kind of throws everything away. Um, and so you kind of see that through the third film and the fourth film. They're kind of stumbling around. The fifth film, I thought they would kind of hit this balance. Um, and now it's just kind of like they know where they're at in their roles. I get the feeling that they don't have to get much direction. They just kind of show up and they do their parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a few things. I still like Hermione cries way too much, and I don't think she pulls those scenes off so great. Uh, whenever Ron, like, has to yell or get upset about something, I don't believe him for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, they are in the end hormonal teenagers. 
so I, that's where this film's going to fall anyway, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. A lot of this film did not work for me whatsoever. Uh, there's a few questions I have, but even more so, I feel like it's a terribly plotted film. I don't know if the, the book suffers from this sort of pacing or not, um, but it's kind of like at the end of, the, of Half-Blood Prince, things finally sort of got started. They're like, okay, we got to find these, these six things, I believe, or five, I think it was after that. Film. Total of seven, but okay. yeah, go on. It's like, at the end of Half-Blood Prince, it's like, listen, the next film, we got to find out who uh, this, uh, these initials belong to, and we have to find the rest of these and destroy them. Here we go. And the movie ends. I'm like, okay, cool. This is going to be awesome. Here we go. And the, they spend a lot of, like, I think about an hour this kind of just burning this film up, uh, Deathly Hollows. Um, and kind of getting nowhere. Then they have to run a lot. And then the running kind of leads them to camping. Um, and then the camping just leads them to, okay, let's camp here. Things are working out. Things are working out. Now we have to go do here this and get this thing. Oh, you know, that worked out fine. Now we have to go do this. Oh, we got to run. This is a setup of some sort. Okay, now on to the next one. This is working out fine. Oh, we got to run again. This is another setup. Um, and then, like, we have a villain who's never even really around for any of the movie. Um, and the worst thing about this film is, Ryan, I, I guess you have trouble seeing this because you know where it's headed, and I personally don't know, is that this really, I don't see your Lord of the Rings comparison here at all. This really, really suffers from being a beginning and a middle of a movie and then nothing else. Um, and I, I even felt like they cut it off in a bad spot, too. Uh, there was nothing of interest really going on with Harry Potter, and they are just like, okay, we got to end the movie there. And then uh, at the end, uh, Voldemort does a few things that finally get the story going, and that actually left more plot holes for me. Um, and it's just, they're like, okay, that's the end of the movie. And the movie even kind of fizzles out. It looks to me like they actually had a four-hour film, and they just like, okay, let's just cut in the middle. Because um, it's just violent, very, like, it's not even like a big build-up, just a very kind of silent cut to the end credits. Um, but yeah, the- I, I don't know, this is... It really is the beginning and middle. Like, you can even take a, a, a series of films. Like, okay, Back to the Future Part Two, for instance. Even that had a beginning, middle, end, even though at the end they knew they were making a third one. Yeah, they introduced some new stuff mm-hmm. onto the third film. This didn't have that. It didn't have, like, some sort of ending um, where I felt like, okay, things are complete. Let's move on to something else. And, yes, I know this is a minor complaint because – and this actually did not affect my rating too much. It's a minor complaint because uh, this is obviously labeled Part 1. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to know, when, you, when this is all over for you as a Harry Potter fan, will you look at these two – together as one big movie or will you judge them separately as films because it's really hard to the way the film is laid out right now well i think that the only thing this film really needed at the end was some sort of going back to harry before it cuts the end credits and like somebody saying all right so what what's the plan now and harry recapping what they would do the next movie that's the only line i needed like with someone looking at him just saying what do we do now because it really was like uh, let's do this and then they just cut away i'm like okay they'll get back to that in a second i guess right I think that would have greatly helped the film, um, but I guess I sort of gave it too much. I, I, I kind of filmed that in my <laughs> mind. But the thing is, um, I kind of – so maybe I did give this movie too much credit in that regard. No, I'm like, not saying that. I'm not calling you out on whatever No, but let me explain that. Okay. Because I think that with Lord of the Rings, it's like, well, it's part one. I just meet these characters, and then I don't know what part two is going to be, but the, the story doesn't really end. I think that this movie is better than that. In fact, I think that um, it actually it had an okay arc in terms of plot, but I think it had an even better arc in terms of the character because it's uh, got the sort of friendship theme going of, like, um, where what do we do when we're outside of this, of Hogwarts? Which I thought, by the way, that Hogwarts... Um, the, the seventh book, everybody's like, hey, there's no Hogwarts. But I think that actually watching this movie especially, Hogwarts would have totally seemed silly. Like, it was actually serious enough where Hogwarts and, like, all the magic would have actually made this less of an epic story. Mm-hmm. That's a side note. Well, 
not just that. I, for me personally, that was actually a good thing they weren't going to Hogwarts. I was like, oh, cool, something different's going to happen in a Harry Potter movie now. Right. Um, um, but but I think that you get this sort of like, okay, it's it's literally just the three of them, and the, get, that gives them this opportunity to sort of examine what their relationship with each other is, and that gets really tense. And then Ron, you know, goes away for a while, and then he comes back, and then that whole theme of like him coming back and returning, and now we're all united together, mixes in with um, with Dobby, at, what happens with Dobby at the end, which is like sort of the cap that is symbolic of everything else that's gone on in the movie. Uh, I don't know. I thought that was was pretty cool. But, but what I'm trying to say though is that. If this was the first movie in a series, I probably would have been more upset. But right. I think everything about this movie, from the beginning, in term, in, like they never like mention that they're going to Grim Old Place. They never even say Grim Old Place or what it is. They just go there. You see it, you know, expand, and you you have to be like, you have to have seen the fifth movie to know what that is. Um, right. They don't pretend that you haven't seen the other movies. And normally, there's a certain amount of that you can get away with. But normally, you want to make sure that your movie stands completely alone. When you get seven movies into a series, I think at some point, like the Saw movies, you have to be like, sorry, if you haven't seen the earlier ones, you're not going to get yeah. this. You're, right, you're going to be self-referential. That's what, there's a lot of that in here. Yeah. Uh, but I have invested myself in the Harry Potter movies. I, I, you know, I'm up to date on everything. Um, I, I don't know. It, the other thing is this, the runtime the run of this movie. I think it's actually um, just slightly over what Half-Blood Prince was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Half-Blood Prince had to be in the middle. And, but I, there was still stuff that, like, for instance, they never quite explained why he called himself the Half-Blood Prince in that movie. And I don't expect any of the further movies to, you know, tell me that. Um, but it's, like, I, the runtime of this one, actually, it's this, okay, it's the same length as Half-Blood Prince, but I feel like there's so much going on here they could have just cut out and then probably made a full movie that might reach about the three-hour mark, which uh, we know people will sit through because, you know, it, uh, people did, you know, the core fans showed up for films like Grindhouse. Yeah. Um, did the same thing. Uh, but I don't know. I felt a lot of this dragged, and a lot of it was just so predictable, and they were kind of just doing the same steps over and over, just going different places to do them. Um, and there's big parts in the middle, which I, they might possibly pay off in the second part, um, but I, I don't know if they were even important. Like, that's the other thing about this film, is if you're going to have two films, you need to kind of tell me what's important. For instance, Harry's, like, carrying around this mirror the whole movie, and I never really realized if that's an important thing that's going to get explained in another movie, or if that's just something that he's doing in this film. Yeah, it's um, super important, I, yeah. Yeah, but the Harry Potter films are kind of infamous, for people who haven't read the book, of stuff just kind of happens, and you're like, okay, I guess I'm either going to go with this, or they're going to explain it later. Yeah. And by this point, I, I realized none of it's ever going to get explained. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, know, that I, stuff, I, they already cut the stuff that wasn't important. Like, they're really, they are already cramming. Yeah, I it's I can kind of show I can that kind of shows I yeah. think it's kind of for for a film that I'm saying should have been uh, cut up. This film really is like busting at the seams too. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's stretched pretty thin it seems. Um, and I, I don't know. There's no clear structure here for me to follow. And when the movie did just end, I was like, well, hold on. I how far? I thought we were like an hour and a half into this thing. Um, so I, it's it's a bit of a an odd film for someone like me. Uh, furthermore, I. I think I've told you this before, Ryan. I am just kind of disenchanted the whole Harry Potter series at this point. Disenchanted? Um, I, no. Yeah, I've done on purpose. Um, I, I, don't know, I feel like it's gone on for a bit too long. I kind of lost interest a while back when the movie started going downhill. Um, and after things stopped being new to the characters, they stopped being new to me. And now I just realized that, um, and I'm sure this happens in the books too, they can just like make up any magical spell they want to, and I just kind of have to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like they're running a whole lot, and yet at the same time they have certain spells that can protect them from whatever they need, uh, just whenever possible. I don't know. Uh, if, I, I don't. I don't know if I'm quite looking for logic in a Harry Potter film or what. It's just it kind of adds to the disenchantment of this whole series. Um, and my rating kind of reflects that, but looking back, it doesn't actually because um, it's 
uh, the same rating I gave Half Blood Prince, so no surprise there. And it's actually just one step down from the rating I gave Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Which is? Uh, I gave Order of the Phoenix a six, I believe. Uh, I'm not actually, I don't have this in front of me. I know for sure I gave Half Blood Prince because I rewatched that one again. Um, I gave it a five. And so Harry Potter and Deathly Hollows, which is a film that I also wonder where the title came from. I'm glad they actually fit that in the end of this movie. I was mm-hmm. kind of worried they wouldn't until the next one. Um, I give a five as well. That's a fair. That's a fair cop. I, I think that I like. Obviously, I don't have to tell anybody this, but I feel like uh, it's too bad that your perception of the series is only the movies. Uh, and for anybody, I feel bad. That, I feel bad that when that's the case, because I, the books are obviously so much better. Uh, or at least you could even argue that this um, story is just better told in book form. Right. Um, I can see that. I really but don't. Don't feel bad for me, Ryan, because I could fix my situation if I want to. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I like coming at these as because it's a movie. I, I shouldn't have to know the source material to enjoy the movie. No, I agree. I actually think that uh, my sister and I have talked about this. That this should be a um, like a BBC miniseries. Absolutely agreed from day one that that should have been the case. It just goes on for like two years, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, and tells like every single part of the the book. Um, so anyway, I, I liked it a lot, and yeah, I, I might be in danger of giving it more credit than uh, it deserved, but like, it's not only did it deliver on the book, which you know I have to admit to to comparing it to, but it um, it I think was a more streamlined version of the same half of the same story, and it really got me excited about Harry Potter in a way that I haven't been since maybe the fifth one, or maybe even since the second one, which convinced me to read the books. So I gave it an eight. Um, that, that's actually great to hear because I love that. Um something that you're a huge fan of like that pays off in some way. Yeah. Um, so many of these films, um, and yes, I'm, I'm actually, when I said that, I was saying just books, films in general, but actually you could say exactly about the Harry Potter series. So many of these films have not delivered, I felt, for the fans, mm-hmm. um, and I've always left the theater with the fan complaining pretty much the entire car ride home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad that they're kind of like finally getting around to that, and they, who knows, maybe they should have just split all these movies up from the beginning, um, or even better, just set off the BBC miniseries, like you said. Yeah, I mean, it's to the point where I'm actually anticipating stuff from the next and last part of this movie. Like, oh, it's going to be great to see that. It's going to be great to see that. Like, I'm I'm that level of excited. So it's good to hear because I remember when you weren't excited about a new Harry Potter film. Yeah, uh, which is I think only just after the fourth Harry Potter film. Mostly, uh, but then with the, with that. then with the trailer for the fifth round, you were good again. I think. It's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, no, that's uh, the Harry Potter series. And for what's worth, I think this is still uh, an interesting series. Like in the end, uh, it'll be fun to look back on all these. I don't think they're going to match or hold up that well, but um, Harry Potter will live on through these movies. That's for sure. That's true. Um, anyway, should we um, should we talk about the contest? Um, yes, let's settle this whole contest thing. We've stretched it on now for a few weeks. Right? It's true. Um, and uh, our, we never heard from a wicked jaw. A wicked no. jaw. I'm sorry. You you blew your big chance. Your jaw will uh, go down into history, but we'll never know who you are. The win a date with Logan and Ryan contest <laughs> is no longer within your grasp. No. Um, however, if your name is Twilight Eyes and you posted Logan Rocks Jukebox, thank you very much, on iTunes, then you are the lucky winner. And w- and uh, the dream date has ended. I'm sorry. You know, that's the way these things go. We hit Logan and I went on the dream date alone. We just it was alone. really I mean, sad. Ryan pay for everything. Yeah. He's like, can we go Dutch, Logan? I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but, but So, uh, Twilight Eyes, who we've now discovered, big reveal, Ryan. Yes. Goes by the actual name of Benjamin Gass. Benjamin Gass, if you were listening, come on down. Sounds like a made-up name. Um, it does sound made-up. But Benjamin Gass, you have won a chance uh, to get us to do whatever you want. We will do any nutty possible thing that you can come up with. Um, and it can even be perverted. Because we're just maybe we should draw some lines on this. Like, 
No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm going to flat out say right now. Ryan will do whatever perverted thing you want him to do, Benjamin. Uh, I don't so know. What, whatever entirely... you have in mind, I know this guy, okay? Um, <laughs> He's a real super freak. It's audio. They couldn't tell if we were doing it or not, Ryan. You just throw in some of those wacky sound effects. We're, we're, we're fine. Done. Uh, no, no, no. In the past, uh, we had a winner who uh, asked that we uh, review Goonies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ben, if there's a, a really crazy film out there that you've always wanted your pals Logan and Ryan to see, now is your chance to throw it at us. Or if you just want us to be stupid for an hour and a half, we can do that too because, hey, how's that different than this? Yeah, we're happy to do that. That's easier than even seeing a movie. That's right. And the, the crowd experience is better too. Right. Um, but, yes, uh, Twilight Eyes, Benjamin Gass, you have won the contest. Please report to Studio B. Is that right? Am I reading this cue card right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, Studio B. Uh, for your injection. Okay. <laughs> well, let us know when you have uh, when you have that figured out. Uh, but even though the contest is over, that doesn't mean you can't go to iTunes and leave us a good review. Um, yes. And, and, you know, if you want Logan to keep writing the jukebox, and you can just write the review too. Yeah. Uh, you could also find us on Facebook. Yes, Critical we're End, there. And uh, Twitter, we're at Critical End. And uh, on, of course, criticalend.com, where you can find this podcast as well as all our blog posts we post daily. Daily, except on the weekends, because that's my private special time. Right, and I have a weekend job delivering newspapers. He delivers newspapers to me during my private special time. Yeah, it's always awkward. It's coming up one of these days, right? And you still owe me 50 cents. Okay, is that for the last week's delivery? No, <laughs> you know what I'm talking that's about. for the perverted sex acts. <laughs> oh, which is completely different than last week's delivery of newspapers. Right. Back, back issues, I have a thing for back issues. What can I say? <laughs> uh, anything else? Yeah, uh, speaking of back issues, now's the chance for you to turn it off if you're not interested at all in Logan's personal life. Um, and Ryan, now's the chance for you to edit this part out if you're not <laughs> okay. interested at all in Logan's personal life. Already done. Uh, uh, you know me well enough to know that I am like, uh, you and I have discussed uh, like 70s comedy enough to the point that we've kind of like come up with ways to explain like this, like how there's a renaissance of comedy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am hard at work on my PhD in this area. Um, I've, you know, I, I grab everything I can, I possibly can from this era up to the point, like, you know, I love the first five seasons of SNL and DVD and whatnot, and speaking these, into these comedians and where they went, and, uh, what I've moved on to recently is, um, is National Lampoon, the, the magazine itself. Right. Um, and this has been sort of a, a long time coming, like, I've always kind of been interested in, in National Lampoon in general up until, like, 98, when, you know, the whole thing kind of did this, like, reversal and became the exact opposite of everything it tried to be originally. They were sort of crack.com for a while. Um, actually, yeah, the National Lampoon, uh, like the magazine, kind of transformed into a website that was pretty good for a mm-hmm. while. Um, and then now that's just a place to watch like funny videos and uh, to upload pictures of your girlfriend doing stuff on Saturday night. Oh, hell yeah. Let me I, go there I now. There, well, let me go there right now while you're talking, Logan. I went there recently, and it kind of like it's no, it's nothing anymore. Um, there's not even – they used to have this cool like retro section too. We could flip through old uh, – like certain articles from the magazine and watch uh, and order like Lemmings and the old – the old albums and whatnot, uh, that's not funny, that's sick, and some of the radio hour stuff, which is long gone out of print at this point. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, you and I have, like, really followed this uh, th- uh, through high school, I guess. Wow, this whole um, top bar is just ads. Yeah, it's it's terrible now. Okay. Um, but for me, I think what happened was I was at a used bookstore about six months ago or something, um, and I saw the long out of print from the late 90s, National Lampoon's Big Book of Love. Um, and what this is, it's actually just reprints from the magazine from 1970 when it started um, to 1998 when it ended. Ooh. Uh, and it's completely, it's just like everything, it's 
pulled from all like it's the crazy love and sex stuff that you find in National Lampoon. The best part is it's set up like a huge copy of the magazine itself, um, with like an opening letter from the editor. It goes into the the letters from the editor, which is the bit they always did. There was you can never actually write into National Lampoon. They wouldn't publish any letters except the ones they wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, then it goes into articles. There's even uh, uh, like um, old uh, classic covers and everything thrown in there. And I completely fell in love with this format. I, I fell in love with the way this was set up as a magazine. I realized right then that I never really. Uh, while I was aware of a lot of the famous writers and stuff that came from the magazine, I read some of that stuff in collections. Mm-hmm. I'd never actually seen it in its actual printed form mm-hmm. um, and the, with the layout and pictures and everything. Because all the, the collection, the big books, just kind of like they, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a, someone like looked at it and just typed it all down. Like you miss all the pictures and whatnot. Right. Um, and this got me really excited. So from there, it, that led me to Amazon where you can still buy um, a DVD-ROM that features all over 200 issues, uh, every single one ever published. How much is that? Uh, it was, I think, twenty bucks. That's actually, not got bad. It day. It's actually not. It's a great deal. I think um, it's fun to just have on your laptop. You can read National Lampoon wherever you want to. Um, interesting backstory of National Lampoon is uh, the last big buyout. They actually put a clause in the contract saying this is how uh, how important the magazine is, like the original National Lampoon founders. They put a clause in the contract saying that these new guys can never ever publish an issue of the magazine. Wow. Um, free to sell it to any movie or whatever they want to, which is they're doing every weekly on a weekly basis now. Um, but they can never, ever use the magazine again. And that makes me so happy because it, uh, up until 98, it actually kept a lot of the old writers and some of the same editors, too, which is amazing. A lot of these guys have moved on the great stuff. Um, so, I was, you know, I'm reading this DVD. I'm reading the, uh, some of the issues on the DVD-ROM. Mm-hmm. I'm really getting into this ride. It's fun to just even look at the old ads and everything. Um, so this is really neat. So over Are they the all media- fake ads? Um, oh, okay. This, see, don't get me started because I can really talk. I've gotten so into this now. The one of the best and brilliant things about National Lampoon is uh, there's times, Ryan, when you cannot tell the fake ads from the real ads. <laughs> it's absolutely true. They what they I don't know how they got away with this stuff, but they actually use like there's this great like Volkswagen ad um, and things like that where they actually say it's you know it's like this is Volkswagen right here. There's nothing. There's I guess they're infringing on sorts of copyright, but I, I don't know how they got away with it back then. Um, but it turned out to be like a joke ad. And I didn't even know it. Like I kind of read right over it. And yeah. Um, well, that's great. Another thing, like, what they do is they kind of do, like, um, issues in issues. Like, they uh, they did it, a uh, parody of Mad Magazine. It's pretty much an entire magazine inside of the National Lampoon magazine. Um, and once you open up that fake, the parody magazine inside National Lampoon magazine, all the ads in there are fake. Yeah. Um, they're kind of what you'd see in that magazine that they make fun of, whether it be Cosmo or they did one Playboy and stuff like that. It's all really funny. Um, so I'm loving on this, and I'm realizing that I have never actually held or seen an actual physical issue of National Lampoon Ride. Mm-hmm. This is true. And I, I think a lot of the generation can say that because these things are, are, are you know, over 30 year, 35 years old now, like the oldest one being 40 years old. Okay? Yeah, I haven't. I was in Nashville, much like you, for the weekend. And there's this wonderful story you may have heard of if you uh, read the, if you read Entertainment Weekly's past two or three weeks um, called The Great Escape. Ah, uh, The Great Escape. Why was it on um, EW? It was uh, <laughs> EW, my old pal. It's trying. Um, uh, Taylor Swift, they do this, like, uh, Entertain Weekly does this shopping with dot, dot, dot bit, and ah. it's Taylor Swift, and she was actually at The Great Escape, and they had a picture of it and everything. It was really cool for The Great Escape. Why was she at The Great Escape? For music? Um, yeah, she's buying records, which she's, like, trying to play off. She's like, I love records. They're, they're so amazing. I just like to hang them on my wall. Like, she's yeah. like, I don't know if she actually listens to them or not. Uh. Um, but, uh, it was, you know, it was a cool article just to read about The Great Escape and whatnot. Well, so while I was there, I was like, you know what? I, it's just down the street. I might as well just go to it. Um, so I walk in, and Ryan, The Great Escape is, like, if you love stores that sell used books and DVDs and CDs and whatnot, you'd love this place, because they have a huge comic book selection as well, tons of back issues, 
um, tons of toys, anything your heart desires. Oh yeah, I used to go there all the time. As far as the stuff you and I love, it's like at the store. Mm-hmm. I'm just filling it up for our, for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember as a kid going there and flipping through like the 25 cents comics first of all, but then I'd also go through the 25 cents magazines and I would pull out based on the covers like all the best like Mad magazines I could find, right? Totally. And most of the time they they had a cover that parodied some sort of like like Indiana Jones, a movie I love or something. Um, so I was like, you know what? I, they have magazines. I should look into this. So I get there and I go up to this uh, incredibly like trendy art house kid, right, who works there. <laughs> like his, his his clothes are, are like smaller. Than uh, like Wes Anderson's size. Than him. Than him. Yeah, they're they're actually like escaping from him, right? Um, he's totally sucking it in, I guess I should say. Right. And so I say, you know, do you have any any old copies of National Lampoon? He's like, oh yeah, you know what? I think we have some over here. Um, and so I follow this guy, which turns out to be a big mistake. Uh, well, <laughs> this is like a fairy tale where you end up in an oven is, at the end. This is I had showed up at the Great Escape. I was in town uh, for Thanksgiving, and I got there a day or two early. And my parents were like, do you want to go to lunch? And I don't get much time to spend just with my two parents, right? So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go to lunch. And so I went to lunch with them afterwards. Like, you want to go to Great Escape? I'm like, sure, it's right down the street. I'll go to Great Escape with you. So my parents are in tow, right? Yeah. Well, this guy walks me over to this huge section with the Playboy bunny above it. This is tons and tons of back issues of Playboy, right? Uh huh. This guy instantly goes to work, <laughs> literally. He, he starts flipping through, like, lots of back issues. Like, oh, I think there's some in here. And I, in my head, I'm like, guy, there's no issues of National Lampoon in, in the Playboy section right <laughs> now. So he's flipping through it. Meanwhile, my parents are at least slightly across the store. And I'm like, any second now, they're going to wonder why I'm with this strange guy. <laughs> Logan, your parents aren't going to wonder anything about yeah, that. They already know. Right, you've been the Great Escape. You know they don't actually wear anything saying that they work there, right? Right, you're just hanging yeah, out with some this guy dude. in really tight clothes um, <laughs> who really can't, like, bend over to, like, look through these issues either because his pants would break. And he's just, like, going through all the old issues of Playboy. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't think they'd be in this section. He says, oh, no, no, they're here. And in my head, I'm like, okay, this guy just wants to look at Playboy. Like, this is an excuse to just go through the Playboy magazine. <laughs> And so he finishes looking through the box. He goes, oh, you know what? I think those would be under N. I'm like, you thank you, idiot. <laughs> the guy takes me over to the back issues of magazines, looks under N. He's flipping through it. I instantly see the very first issue of National Lampoon I've ever seen in my entire life, right? September 1974. It's even a classic cover that I recognize of, like, the top five National Lampoon classic covers. Wow. What's, what's look- on the cover? Um, it's a famous cover. If you do remember uh, George Harrison's concert for Bangladesh yeah. album, the uh, the little like frail kid eating from the pan. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a uh, it's a exact same frail kid eating from the pan made of chocolate with a bite taken out of his head. <laughs> it's kind of humor, National Lampoon. Uh, that's good. Pedro Work had a great. Uh, he was the editor for a long time. He said that there was a door uh, marked "Sacred, Do Not Enter," and we touched it and it fell off his hinges. And that's exactly <laughs> what the National Lampoon did so well. Um, and I had been looking, I, you know, I looked on eBay and stuff for these, just curious about an issue. Most of them, even like the, the 80s issues when people had started dying off, Ryan, mm-hmm. are going like to 10 to the, the most, uh, people were paying 50 up to 75 for the classic um, buy this magazine or shoot this dog cover, right? Sure. So I am excited to see this, and he flips one more, and there's another issue behind it, but that's it. So there's two issues here of National. The other one's from 1976, okay? The Golden Years. I am just so into this. I snatched him out of his hand. Pretty much like pushed this kid aside. I probably broke him half. <laughs> then Ryan, you go back to the Playboys. Then I, back to, then I went back to the Playboys. He's like, if you need me, I'll be in the Playboys. Two ninety nine and three ninety nine. Ryan, excellent condition. They're in like little slip kit, the sleeves and everything. Oh my god, that's great. I'm like, these must be mine. So I take him up to the front. Let me know when you're bored of the store. I take it up to the front of the store. Old guy working the counter, right? Um, he's the guy who does the buying. I, you know, I know this because when I walked in, he was obviously buying stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And I said, you know, do you guys see these often here? He's like, no, because um, he actually he went into the story about how he used to have subscription. Like, really interesting. Like, one of those things during Granddad Talk. She's like, this is a good story. Mm-hmm. It's not about some war I don't care about. Um, it's about National Lampoon magazines. Um, and then were you said, like, were you in any wars? Yeah. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> um, he said something really interesting. He said that these, back in the day, people just threw these away after reading them. Um, the reason magazines like Mad and stuff like that survive and you can find tons of back issues of those is because it was viewed the same way as a comic, which is really kind of what Mad is when you look at it. You know? Right. And because of that, people associate it with collectible. Well, if anything, National Lampoon is a literary magazine. This is I, I know it sounds weird to say, but it's so true when you flip through it. It's mostly just like these really long-form articles. Right. Um, they need to work really hard to get to the joke. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's more to it. There's, there's like the photo uh, funnies and the parodies and whatnot in it, too. Um, but he said because of that, you don't see much of them around anymore, and that's probably why they go for so high and everything on eBay, which I mentioned to him. Um, so I felt like I had just had, like, I made the steal, okay, Ryan? Totally. Like, I walked out with these two issues, I instantly started flipping through. It's a whole other experience altogether. Like, I, while I recommend grabbing this, D, this DVD-ROM, if you can, mm-hmm. seeing the actual thing is completely different. The way this magazine is set up is amazing. The actual paper itself is amazing because they printed on like a bunch of different paper like they, they did the, the national which at the beginning of each issue is their fake parody newspaper it's actually printed like on newspaper paper yeah then um, there's other parts of the magazine printed on like printed on glossy paper and there's some printed on different color paper it's really neat the way they thought they put so much into doing this it must have been expensive to do it must have been really there's actually a book that just came out about this um, called Drugstone Brilliant Dead mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the old National Lampoon writers he got the rest of them that are still alive together and they talk about um, all the effort they put into the, making this magazine that people kind of just wrote off at the time, but now is, has built up to this, like, it's, you know, it's so influential, and so many people talk about the old National Lampoon. Mm-hmm. Well, the end of this story is that there's one more great escape across town, okay? At this point, like, I'm in, like, high heaven, so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give them a call, see if they have any old issues. This is way across town. I'll drive over there and, and grab them if I need to. I call the guy out. I'm saying, do you have any old National Lampoons? Instantly. Like, the Chevy Chase movies? <laughs> like no, no, this is this is an old magazine. Is the magazine based on the Chevy Chase movies? Like I, I did not want to get into a full history lesson of this guy, right? Yeah. So is I'm pretty much like, oh, you know, thank you. He's like, yeah, I don't think we have anything like that. It hangs up. Well, I traffic was terrible driving downtown Nashville, but I finally I drove all the way down through downtown Nashville, got across town. You drove there I, anyway. Um, yes, I went there anyway. This yeah. is how I did this. This is I was gonna say I would have done the same thing because like the guy who works there never knows. Yeah, exactly, and this is why you and I like are like soul brothers, right? He's like, I have Playboy. Yeah, right. it's the same guy. <laughs> All calls go through me. Let me check in the Playboy section. Um, I get over there, and uh, my sister encouraged me too. She's like, Logan, you just need to do it. How often are you in town? Like, you know, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So actually, we get over there, um, and it does. It dawns on me that I should look in the new arrivals section. They actually have a new arrivals for magazines, right? And so I'm going through that section. I find one issue from 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is like a little past the golden years. You know, it's a lot of the same, like I said before, a lot of the same great writers and everything. But, you know, like $1.99, I definitely need to buy this one, okay? Who cares if it's not considered a classic or whatnot? I, I'm just going to start grabbing all I see. And it's, I'm probably lucky to find these three total ones I found now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I start to leave them like, oh, hold on. That was a new arrival section. I didn't even look through the ends. I walk up to the ends. Ryan, there's literally a box of over 50 or 60 <laughs> back issues of National Anthem. <laughs> I'm prepared to invest this much money. In. No, I would love to. And, like the most expensive one I saw was only seven nine nine, and these are great issues. Okay, like great shape and everything. Yeah. I just this completely blew my mind. And you may remember this Belly Gray Escape, but they put uh, like stickers on uh, the price sticker. Actually, says the date that they bought the item. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually see how long that item's been sitting on the shelf. Well, the the most recent one I found was 2008. Yeah. So these. 
been sitting here a while, so then I'm like, okay, hold on. So I, da- I there's Nashville's a huge city, why not? It's it's cool in this already scene. There's lots of hipster kids that are probably like in the National Lampoon, but it looks like these have been sitting here a while, so I'll probably be okay. So I've now you know rushed back to uh, I've now left home for th- from Thanksgiving break, and I'm saving my money to go back and buy that box of golden classics that's sitting currently at the Great Escape in Nashville. Oh man, that's I'm totally gonna go buy them. And enjoy Christmas and take them all. It it will soon be mine. I'm so excited. This was a huge mistake, you know, telling me about this because I, I'm the exact kind. I'm the only other person who could compete at you with this. (laughs) With this one, right? I there's been uh, like there wasn't. Here's the the downside: this there wasn't like a single double issue of any of the ones I already bought that other Gray Escape, or um like. In, like in that box itself, so I imagine these came well, like one or two of them that I actually bought. I bought a, ten, a total of ten issues while I was there. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I actually still had the like the address uh, sticker on it, which was kind of cool uh, to the person they sent to. And I imagine this guy just brought in this whole box of National Lampoon magazines and sold them. Mm-hmm. But I wish there were some doubles because I'd love to just buy a few of these and just give them to you. Because <laughs> no, like, this this looks super awesome. Like having a magazine from like 1976 just sitting on my, which I'm like so afraid to even touch them. Actually, they've held up incredibly well, and I'm not afraid to touch them at all. Um, but I, I think you would so love these. Like this is something you could completely, could completely get into. And it's if I was to give you one of the collection of books, or if you were to buy the DVD ROM, I don't think you'd quite see the appeal. But seeing the actual magazine yourself, we were totally born in the, at the wrong time. Oh, that's so true. To be reading like a great magazine that exists like National Lampoon back in the day, and to be watching a show like Saturday Night Live in its prime. Uh, uh, highlight. Of course, we, we wouldn't be able to talk to each other like this or do an amazing podcast called Critical In. Well, we would. We would just be like 60. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're exact. We look like Chevy Chase now, so yeah. I think I'm happier where I'm at. Yeah. Um, but no, that's, that's my story from Thanksgiving. I, I, was really, I was like, Ryan has to know this full story because this is very exciting to me. Well, that's awesome. You've definitely convinced me to to at least look into the, the DVD-ROM uh, because I, I have always wanted to read that old stuff. and uh, So that'll be cool. I'll, I'll check it out. And then I will get really super into it immediately, and I will go buy that box of comics before you can. <laughs> I um I I highly recommend if you can get to it first before the DVD ROM, the Big Book of Love. Okay. Um, it's out of print. It's still listed on Amazon. You might actually be able to buy it like Amazon Marketplace, for really cheap. Um, but that'll actually kind of give you a clue of what you're in for, because like I said, it's like it's laid out like one huge issue of the magazine, um, and all it is is just exact like page by page reprints. Um, and I think you'll love it. It's just naughty enough too that it's that's interesting in that way as well. Okay, so it's titillating. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that that sort of like is appealing in some way because like not only do you are you getting like the whole literature stuff out, of it, it's like watching an R-rated movie. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like if you're bored, you can just flip a page. You're like, oh wow, that's nice. Oh boobs. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know. It's it really is just a great magazine. That's awesome. Right, well, cool. The guy at the Great Escape was like, you know, nothing like this exists anymore. I'm like, you know, it's so true. Which I, just, I think is what I've told you before. Like, I feel like if someone did that now, it'd actually go over really well. But things like The Onion and whatnot are just doing the National Lampoon thing just online. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I've also grabbed every like biography I can read about this. Maggie Simmons is, biography. Uh, is actually pretty interesting. Um, some of the stuff is really like funny and sad. Um, like uh, things about Michael Donahue. A lot of this was in the SNL book. But do you remember, like, you know, he was head writer after Chevy left for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of like lost lost it with all those people, and he kind of left the show. And and then um, when Lauren Michaels took back over in the '80s, the first person he brought back in the writer staff was Michael Donahue. Mm-hmm. And that's when he came in. He's like, "This is what the show needs." And he spray painted "Dangerous" all over the walls. And then he yelled at the cast enough, and he actually pointed out he pulled Catherine O'Hara out, who hadn't even filmed a show yet. She was there, you know, rehearsing for the first show. Uh-huh. He physically, like, not physically, but he verbally abused her to the point that she quit right there. Like, she said she was crying and whatnot. Oh, that's really interesting. And then Douglas Kinney's a sad story. He was, uh, 
he co-wrote Caddyshack and Animal House. Big friends with Harold Ramis, obviously. Um, and he was just into all sorts of like drugs and everything. And he died when he was 34. He's the one who fell off the cliff in Hawaii. Do you remember all this stuff? No. I think we've discussed this before. And what ha- he was like, Chevy's involved in all these stories too. Chevy had just gotten over the whole drug thing. He just finished his stay at Betty Ford, and so he went to Doug, and he's like, "Listen, Doug, why don't you just you know come hang out with me this weekend?" He was trying to get him away from these drugs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So Chevy was like the last of his friends to actually talk to him, which is really crazy. So he went to Hawaii, and um, he got super like high and everything. They found all this crazy stuff in his motel room. And he just wandered and fell off a cliff. They didn't find him until like two weeks later. Ugh. And Harold Ramis had the best. Obviously, his um, funeral was more of a roast than anything else. But from the lines, Harold Ramis to me had the best one. He said, um, Doug most likely fell looking for a place to jump. And that, that is really funny, I think. Oh, that's funny. Because, you know, he was like all crazy and suicidal and stuff anyway. But Kind of sad. It's just, I don't know. To me, though, it seems like the right ending for a lot of these guys. It's kind of like the Belushi, like Chris Farley type thing. You know what I mean? Well, that's like, yeah. I mean, like, why do all comedians have terrible lives? Well, it's you know, it's you know, when you read Chevy's authorized biography, you find out that you know he was beaten by his dad and everything, or yeah. stepdad. All that stuff is nuts. You know, it's no different than like a Kurt Cobain. These are the rock stars of the comedy world. Yeah. Um, and they're just going out the same way. And for a lot of them, it's it's better that they did in a certain uh, aspect. Like, don't get me wrong, that's a mean thing to say. But because of that, we never got to see like how bad their career would have turned out. Like Chevy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, everyone gets their second act, and Chevy's kind of going through it now. I think a lot of these people, like, if Belushi was still alive, well, I have no clue, obviously, how he'd be. But I think he'd look at Steve Martin's career and be like, really, Steve Martin? Yeah, really. Um, that's all. Who knows? Belushi probably could be a host in the Oscars now if he wanted to. Man. That would that would be really sad, because Belushi probably would have gone the way of a Steve Martin. He probably would have done, like, Jim Belushi stuff eventually. Yeah, I, I actually, I complete, I'm a complete, I bet they would have ended up with a sitcom on TJF. Mm-hmm. Think, mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, but you know, this, at the time, they never thought about those things. Um, they never really thought about the future, either. It's Mick Jagger saying that if he's still playing Satisfaction in his 30s, he'd quit. And he's still <laughs> doing it now in his 60s. Um, I don't know, uh, you, just, when you finally get to that age, you're like, this is all I know. Well, yeah, it's like, well, they keep paying for this, and it's easy. Yeah, that's what it is they keep paying for, so why not? I mean, Kevin Smith was talking about that, about that's why he kept making, you know, Views Universe movies. He's like, well, you know, it's I know how to do it. They keep wanting keep it. love it. Exactly. Right, right. And, you know, if like if when he brought back Clerks 2, that was a huge hit. Even you said it was a great movie. It was a great movie. So, it's not, like, he wasn't saying it necessarily against, like, that stuff, but he's like, you know what, I'm kind of I'm kind of done. Like, he realized, like, he was doing it because it was his job, not because it was what he loved anymore. Right. So I think that you need to, like, Probably. reset at those points. When you try doing something like Jersey Girl after that, it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or not. The fans don't want that. Well, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what kills, like, your, when you try and start the second half of your career, that's how it can die, just instant death right there. That's what you have to, like, accept that you are starting over if you start over. You can't be like, well, I have this fan base. Like, well, no, you don't. If you're starting yeah, right, over, exactly. you don't. Yeah, that's true. Well, there's so much going on, like, back in the day of all this cool, interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. If anything, I'm, I complain about it now in the state it's reached, but I'm glad SNL's still around. You know... It's it's still around, but it doesn't. I don't know. We go on forever. No, it it really depresses me when I watch it. Don't get me wrong, okay? Um, and it's it's also like I cannot look away. Like it's badness, Ryan. Just cannot escape me. I'm yeah. pulled into the TV, and I must watch all hour and a half of Betty White. Yeah, just... I mean, it's not that it's even reprehensible. It's just it's not it's not very good. I think the bigger thing though is it's not to Michael O'Donohue's point, dangerous at all anymore. Exactly. Right, right. It's Well, they got too safe. And actually, there's a great interview of uh, Chevy in Time Magazine 
um, from last week or something. I actually have it laying around somewhere around here. Um, really short side thing where, you know, most of the questions about community, and they, were, they asked him how he'd fix Saturday Night Live now, and he said get rid of Weekend Update. Um, that they've come to rely too much on, like, this straight parody and, like, what people expect to be funny from these things. Hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, I'm so-and-so, this is Weekend Update. People instantly love it no matter what they're going to say. Um, and Saturday Night Live, and, you know, uh, this is what Bob Kirk and David Cross were always say, they relied way too much on the same characters over and over again. That's true. And they still do that. They need to kind of move away from that. That's true. Um, but yeah, O'Donoghue was right. It needed to be dangerous. And that's why, uh, you know, people like Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo were good for that cast. Mm-hmm. Especially Eddie Murphy. He brought that kind of dangerous aspect to it. And I thought, you know, the SNL renaissance kind of came about in the early 90s. That was a great cast they had going there for a while. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway. The, uh, the funny thing they realized about this is you and I aren't actually old enough to talk about this sort of thing. Um, I was having this conversation with my dad, and he was giving me this look like, well, you weren't around for any of this stuff. How are you qualified to even talk about this? Um, and it's just kind of, I, I feel like we really have made a study. I, you know, how many times did I force you to watch the best of Chevy Chase? Like, I lugged that VHS with me everywhere I went. Oh, yeah, yeah it was pretty much in your utility belt. <laughs> yeah, it was in the Logan utility belt in the day. That's funny. Um, but, yeah, this is kind of stuff we were raised on. I guess Leslie Nelson falls in that category, too, of those Zazz films. Yeah, I was definitely raised on That's Leslie Nielsen. Before I even met you, uh, that was one of the few... Oh, no, of course, of course, right, right. I don't take credit things. for introducing anything. Maybe the Beatles. Uh, I'm like, now listen to this solo McCartney album. <laughs> I'm like, Logan, you're terrible. I hate you. He says flipping 800 times in this one song. <laughs> this is a song about his dog. I'm like, look, love songs are silly, Logan. <laughs> I understand, but can you... McCartney just... wrote a song like that, too. Let me uh, play it for you. No, that Come was back, Ryan. Oh. Anybody who likes who likes Lennon's solo career though is just not paying attention. I'm sorry. I that is the best quote ever about John Lennon's solo career. And, you know they just re-release they you know remaster and release a lot of stuff. They're about to do that, Paul too. I think I told you that. Um, it, it's all because of the the Beatles remi- uh, remasters did so well. Mm-hmm. But I uh, like I was listening at the store the, to like the listening station to his new greatest hits album. like Power to the People, the best of John Lennon. That stuff is terrible. Like I don't care what anyone says. I don't know if it's the influence of Yoko or what, but he. Like, I don't see how any of those songs are really hits, and there's a few that maybe kind of, like, are catchy. Like, Imagine, I think, is a good song. It's right? Imagine, whatever gets you through the night, and yes, there's probably, right. like, one more. Mm-hmm. But none thinking. of that stuff is, like, anywhere near Beatles quality, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, McCartney was at least trying to reach that level in certain ways. Uh, Ringo was off doing his own thing, and some of the George stuff does appeal to me. Um, some yeah. of his more... The commercial George stuff is really good. Yeah. I hate to say that, but it's, like, artsy stuff is always... Especially the religious stuff is past me. Well, obviously. Uh, but... No, McCartney was my favorite. It's because McCartney tried to capture that like whimsical part of the Beatles, and that's what always appealed to me the most about the Beatles. Well, if the Beatles was John and Paul competing with each other. So without mm-hmm. that, like, without if you take them apart, and also at this one point, side of each. Yeah, and also at that point they were both revered as rock gods, so they didn't have to work for it. They knew they had already been accepted. <laughs> McCartney really did stop working after the Beatles. <laughs> oh yeah, he did stopped writing lyrics entirely. Yeah, no, he was he had catchy music. That's what it was, I think. Yeah. Um, but I've been listening, I, I actually refound, since my, the truck now just only has a cassette player, I found my cassette to Wings Back to the Egg album, which opened the Say Don't Love you My Song. Weirdest, I love this song. You have the weirdest constraints on your life. Well, my, my <laughs> random truck only has a cassette player. Well, yeah, I have the whole, like, uh, hookup thing where I can play my iPod and whatnot, uh, uh, but I have more fun listening to my Wings cassette from 1979. <laughs> do you have auto fast forward, or do you have to do that manually? No, I, when I fast, like, a lot of them, you know... They eventually got where they'd stop at the song when it started, but now I go way past the song. I'm like, oh, fine, this other song instead. <laughs> forget it. Yeah, forget it. Get it, Wings. Um, it's funny. That's cool. Oh, okay, so Tangle next week. All right, cool. 
Music by Kevin McLeod.